1: Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is still alive. Yeah, we almost lost her back on January 6th when rioters stormed the Capitol building. At least that's what she said a few days ago. She thought she was going to die, but she didn't. But what she did do was survive to become the winner of a prestigious weekly award.
0: And now it's time for the Jerk of the Week, starring John Steigerwald. That's right. Uh, Sandy
1: Cortez, who's on camera presence when you see her doing social media, which she does a lot. is kind of what you'd expect to see from a high school sophomore. She told her story on Instagram.
2: I had a pretty traumatizing event happen to me. Um, and I do not know if I can even disclose the full details of that event due to security concerns, but I can tell you that I had a very close encounter where I thought I was going to die. Um, And you have all of those thoughts um, where, you know, at the end of your life, and all of these thoughts come rushing to you. And um, that's what happened to a lot of us on Wednesday. Um, and I thought I, I, I did not think, I did not know if I was going to make it to the end of that day alive. life. it was an extremely traumatizing event. Um, and it is not an exaggeration to say that many, many members of the house were nearly assassinated. Um, it's just not an exaggeration to say that at all. Uh, we were very lucky Um, that things happened within certain minutes that allowed members to escape the the, the House floor unharmed.
1: And she has a problem, though, because she wasn't in the Capitol building when it was stormed. She was in the Cannon building, which is where her office is. And another Congresswoman, Nancy Mace of South Carolina, whose office is down the hall, said, quote, My office is two doors down. Insurrectionists never stormed our hallway. And she also said that the Capitol police officer who came into her office was white and looked angry. Not sure why she needed to point out that he was white, but what he was in there for was to protect her and take her to a safer place. Bottom line, her office is three tenths of a mile from the Capitol building and she was never in any danger. And the best part of the story is that she was trending on Twitter as Alexandria Ocasio-Smollett. Not sure if Jesse ever won this award. Good chance he did. But I am sure that the person who will forever be referred to on this show as Alexandria Ocasio-Smollett is this week's winner of the Windows R Us Jerk of the Week Award.
3: The Jerk of the Week is brought to you by Windows
0: R Us. Pittsburgh's premier exterior replacement company. Expert repair and replacement for windows, roofs, siding, doors, gutters, and downspouts. Why pay double? Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com.
1: And speaking of jerks, there are uh, teachers unions all over the country who are refusing to report to work, even though schools are trying to open up. In our second half hour, we're going to be talking to the director of Pittsburgh Catholic Schools, Find out how it is that Catholic schools have been able to have kids actually, you know, come in and sit in classrooms for the last several months, and people aren't dying. It's not mass death. Anyway, coming up after this break, we're going to talk about a story, amazing story in Time magazine about how the election was rigged, and Time says it was rigged in a good way. Zach Smith of the Heritage Foundation coming up. Stick around. Some home repairs just can't wait for spring, especially a leaky roof or drafty old windows. Well, you can count on Windows R Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald, With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows R Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, windows, gutters, and downspouts, siding, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew, so don't put it off. Right now, Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through Bank Get new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office. Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial, aluminum, wood, and composite. And to show their appreciation to stag fans everywhere, you'll also get 10% off your total project when you mention this show. Get 12 months, no interest, no processing fee, and 10% off. Backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windowsruspittsburgh.com. That's windowsruspittsburgh.com.
4: And now you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free at ZipRecruiter.com slash free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free. ZipRecruiter.com slash free.
5: you think they can't afford term life insurance. To buy a million dollars of affordable term life for you, all you need to do is call Big Lou at 800-230-2777. Lou will make sure the scales are tipped in your favor. Call 800-230-2777. Big Lou will answer your call and work to fit you into a term life policy that you can afford. Remember, Big Lou's like you. He's on meds, too. Call 800-230-2777. 800-230-2777. This is the John Stacker Walt Show on
0: AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer.
1: 2020 election is over. In case you didn't know, uh, Joe Biden won. There probably won't be a military coup that will end up with the big guy being arrested and taken out of the White House in handcuffs. So, So now what? Well, Hans von Spakovsky of the Heritage Foundation laid out nine reforms at the Heritage Foundation that, uh, uh, that could be implemented to prevent mistakes and fraud the next time. Zach Smith is a legal fellow for legal and judicial studies at the Heritage Foundation. He joins us now. Zach, thanks for coming on again. Always good to have
6: you. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me back. I appreciate it.
1: So how much reform is needed? Um, I mean, I know you could go on for a long time on that. That's a uh, it's not a simple answer, but I'm just trying to Right. You know, we only got 15 minutes here.
6: (laughs) Well, look, I think there are some common sense reforms that state legislatures around the country can start implementing now. Uh, You know, we've heard a lot of talk about election fraud uh, with this past election cycle. And I think it's very important that we we push for fixes to begin taking place now as we already get ready for the 2022 midterms and then, of course, for the 2024 presidential election. And so, as you mentioned, uh, Hans put out a a piece where he laid out some of those common-sense reforms. And it's things like states need to clean up their voter rolls. They need to verify the citizenship of those who are voting. They need to require voter ID not only for people who vote in person but also for those who cast absentee ballots. Uh, and then they need to do things like limit uh, mail-in ballots and also ban vote harvesting, uh, which is where organizations or strangers can go around and uh, collect just scores and scores of absentee ballots uh, to, to deliver them. And so if states begin focusing on the problem, begin implementing uh, some new procedures and laws to deal uh, with these types of issues, I think we can at least begin to move in the right direction.
0: Now,
1: how many of those things that you just described um, that that exist now or don't exist, depending on which uh, you were speaking about there, um, how many of those things help Democrats or hurt Republicans if they aren't changed?
6: Well, look, you know, you'll hear different sides of the story. But the fact is, uh, you know, maintaining the integrity of elections really should be a bipartisan issue. Because regardless of whether you want a Democratic candidate to win or a Republican candidate to win or some other third-party candidate to win, everyone should want to make sure uh, that all legally cast votes count and that no illegally cast votes count. It's the integrity of the process that matters. And so these reforms that we're talking about here today, uh, these really go to the heart of making sure that the integrity of the electoral process is safeguarded.
1: Yeah, but, but how much of, of what you're describing there is going to be accepted by the Democrats? I guess what I'm getting at here is we've been hearing a lot of those things uh, for a while that need to be done, voter ID, things like that. But uh, you get more pushback from the Democrats on that stuff, don't you? Which would lead you to believe that they, there's a reason they don't want it.
6: Well, look, you know, I think you're certainly right. A lot of these have been uh, been controversial, especially things like voter ID. You know, there have been allegations uh, that it it disenfranchises low-income individuals who can't afford voter ID. Well, the easy solution to that is if someone can't afford a voter ID and needs it for voting purposes, states should provide them one. And that's exactly what we we've proposed, that if states require voter, uh, voter ID to vote, If someone can't afford it, the state should just give it to them. Uh, Because, again, the most important thing is safeguarding the integrity uh, of the electoral process.
1: Now, there's an amazing story up at uh, Time Magazine's website at at time.com today, Uh, the the title of which is The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign that Saved the 2020 Election. It's really an amazing story, very detailed, uh, a lot of wild stuff in there. Did you see it?
6: I, I have not seen that story. Uh, I haven't. Um, okay. but you, but you know, cool. John, if I could highlight one thing, uh, uh, for you, I don't know if you or your listeners have been paying attention to something called HR one, uh, the For the people act, uh, it's mm-hmm. a, an act that's been proposed in Congress. Uh, and it really, uh, proposes to make many fundamental changes. Uh, to our electoral system. It proposes to basically fundamentally transfer election oversight from the state to the federal government. Uh, and it, it would take actions with everything from campaign finance uh, to prohibiting states from uh, cleaning up their voter rolls. And so, you know, this is definitely an issue that I, I want to highlight for you. I want to highlight for your listeners uh, and definitely encourage everyone to, to take a look and if you feel so inclined, you know call your representatives uh, and your senators and encourage them not to support uh, this HR one bill.
1: Yeah, um, up on your on the website uh, at the Daily Signal actually Hans, who's uh, been on the show here as you have many times, um, he is uh, a former um, member of the uh, of the election commission. Um, right, and the f- the first line of his piece is "election fraud is real." So, no, n- is anybody out there denying that there is fraud, and is it all just about the degree to which it affects elections?
6: Well, look, you know, I I guess there certainly could be somebody out there who denies that that fraud happens. Uh, to that point, you know, I'd say frankly they're just wrong. Unfortunately, fraud happens in almost every election. And so what we're talking about here is, again, ways to stop the fraud, to minimize uh, the amount that that happens. Uh, And, you know, if people want to dispute uh, that it happens or to, you know, say that it's not very prevalent, well, I would encourage you, again, go to heritage.org, go to our voter fraud database, uh, where we have, you know, I think it's up over 2,000 instances of documented uh, uh, voter fraud cases where people have been prosecuted. Uh, for committing voter fraud. And so, unfortunately, voter fraud is real. It does uh, take place in nearly every election. And, again, uh, it's important that states start thinking about things now uh, so that they can prevent uh, fraud from happening in 2022 or
1: 2024. We're talking to Zach Smith. He's a legal fellow for legal and judicial studies at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, This piece at at Time, I, I, I really highly recommend it for everybody. Uh, it's, it's long. It's, it's real long, um, but it's very detailed. And it describes um, a coalition, a conspiracy, some people might call it. Uh, actually, the piece itself uh, refers to it as a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protests and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Uh, it was a result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans, the pact was formalized in a terse, little little-noticed, little-noticed joint statement of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and AFL-CIO published on Election Day. Both sides would come to see it as a sort of implicit bargain inspired by the summer's massive, sometimes distracted, destructive racial justice protests. I mean, it goes on and says that these people got, including Republicans, got together because they went into this with the, um, notion and they were convinced that Donald Trump was going to try to steal the election. And so while we've heard all this stuff uh, during and uh, well, prior, during, and since the election from the Trump side that it was rigged, these, this story, this, this uh, scenario describes a, an actual uh, plot. And they say it was not to fix the election, but to fortify it. Um, you buying any of that? I mean, do you think any of that was going on out there?
6: Well, look, I think you're highlighting, you know, again, I haven't seen this, this particular article, John, but you know, I think you're, you're highlighting an important point. It's not only important that our elections are actually secure. It's important that people also believe they are secure and so again, a lot of these common sense measures we're talking about, verifying people's citizenship, uh, mm-hmm. being, a, allowing states and encouraging them to maintain accurate and up-to-date voter rolls, uh, you know, maintaining standard policies and procedures for counting votes, uh, making sure that jurisdictions allow in election observers to observe all the parts of the vote counting and tabulation process. All of that really goes to, to the point of making sure the elections are secure. And more importantly that people can have confidence that they are secure, and so again you know not to not to sound like a broken record, uh, but this is an important issue it's one that state legislatures have to start focusing on now, and it, even if they just take these simple steps that we've talked about today uh, we'll be in a much better position in two years and four years uh, than we were during this past election cycle
1: well it's interesting you mentioned state legislatures because According to this piece, uh, this group, uh, this coalition of lots and lots of people from lots and lots of uh, different uh, corners of of politics, it says that uh, they got states to change voting systems and laws and helped secure hundreds of millions in public and private funding. So there was a lot of talk about here in Pennsylvania, they did change the law. Uh, and uh yeah. the Supreme Court took it upon itself to change a law that was not supposed to be allowed to be changed by anybody except the legislature and and the, right. according to this story there was a there was an actual uh concerted effort to get laws changed to help uh defeat Trump in this election and that worked seems well- to.
6: Well, and look, unfortunately, you know, a lot of people have take, uh, this past cycle especially, seem to take the approach of election by litigation. You know, before the election took place, there really was an enormous flurry of lawsuits being filed, uh, asking state judges, federal judges to change the election rules and procedures, uh, in some cases, even after uh, voters had started casting their ballots. Uh, you know, the litigation continued, obviously, after the election. Uh, but I think that's one of the things we're really emphasizing. You know, these last-minute changes of the rules and procedures, that's not good. That's not healthy. And so states have to set the rules early, make them clear, and that way when these challenges are filed, uh, hopefully they'll be able to be you know, rebutted uh, more easily than they were in 2020.
1: Um, so as someone who who observes this and as an expert on this stuff um if someone were to ask you um about this election and how much fraud played a role in joe biden being elected what would you respond how would you respond to that i mean first of all you believe that fraud took place but how much and how much did it help joe biden win
6: well look i think that's one of the problems we we heard a lot of allegations about voter fraud right but inherently voter fraud is, is it's very difficult to discover in the first place. And even when it is discovered, it's very difficult to prove in a court of law, especially if you're going to criminally prosecute someone. Uh, Those cases have to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. It's the highest burden we know in American law, and rightfully so if you're seeking to to put someone in jail. And so, you know, even though there there wasn't necessarily uh, prosecutions uh, our proven cases of fraud. It doesn't mean it didn't take place. You know, obviously, it, it doesn't look like it, it took place on the, as large a scale as some of the allegations uh, we're saying out there. Uh, but again, any voter fraud is too much, and we should all be striving to make sure, again, that every legally cast ballot counts and that no illegally cast ballots are counted.
1: Uh, while we have you here, you are a uh, legal fellow for legal and judicial studies, so. Uh, where are you on this, um, what's going to happen in the Senate next week with the impeachment trial?
6: Well, John, uh, after 2020, I've given up on trying to make predictions about anything. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it's certainly going to be unprecedented. It's the first time uh, any president's been impeached for a second time. It's the first time that someone who is no longer a sitting president uh, will be tried uh, after an impeachment. You know, it's an open constitutional question whether moving forward with a trial, since Donald Trump is no longer president, is even constitutional. Um, You know, the Constitution requires the chief justice to preside over any impeachment trials of a president. Uh, In this case, uh, the chief justice isn't going to preside. It's going to be Patrick Leahy, uh, who is the president pro tempore of the Senate. Uh, And so I think it's really going to be unprecedented in a lot of ways. Uh, And again, I think a lot of the initial debate, especially from the Republican side, uh, I anticipate will focus on the idea that that this is kind of an extra constitutional process uh, since Donald Trump is no longer president.
1: And what kind of a precedent is being set here by all of this?
6: Well, in some ways, it's a dangerous precedent, uh, because, again, the impeachment power, uh, uh, my view is the framers and the impeachment power, you know, was primarily targeted And stopping bad actors from continuing to abuse their office and harm the republic, and so you have to question uh, what you know really what kind of practical benefits are are being gotten here by the American people uh, since you know whether you agree with Donald Trump or you disagree with Donald Trump. The fact is he's no longer in office, Uh, and so you know traditionally, except for one instance in the, the late 1800s. Uh, once somebody has been removed from office, either through resignation or the expiration of their term, uh, the House and the Senate have declined to move forward with impeachment proceedings. And so, you know, unfortunately, we're in a very politically charged climate today, and it'll uh, certainly be interesting to watch things as they unfold next week
1: hey uh zach i'm out of time it's always good to have you on thank you for uh clearing this up and uh it's only it's less than two years now we're going to be doing this again i don't mean talking to you on the show i mean having an election that everybody's going to be focused on
6: time flag thanks so much for having me on john
1: all right thanks zach we'll be right back
7: With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Yankee Stadium is open as a COVID-19 vaccination site and is drawing lines of people from surrounding neighborhoods in the Bronx. The mega site being restricted to Bronx residents is a way to boost vaccination rates in the New York City borough that has the highest percentage of positive coronavirus test results. Republican Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene has lashed out at those in both parties who voted to kick her off her committee's Democrats say she earned the action by spreading hateful and violent conspiracy theories. Green says not being on the committees will give her more time to talk to people around the country. On Wall Street, stocks closing out a winning week with their fifth gain in a row and their biggest weekly increase since November. The Dow gained 92 points, the Nasdaq up 78, and the S&P 500 ahead 15. This is SRN News.
8: Find ways to refresh your home at Macy's One Day Sale. Going on now with deals of the day like eight piece bedding sets, 34 65% off charter club down pillows and comforters, 50% off glassware from Hotel Collection and more, and small kitchen appliances, 20 plus an extra 15% off. Plus, get your online orders fast with contact free curbside pickup, or you can pick them up inside the store. For details, visit Macy's.com. Savings off sale and clearance prices, exclusions apply.
6: What you can't see can hurt you, like in The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Mister, there is a wolf out there. I do
5: not see any wolf. What you can't see can hurt you with identity theft, too. If you're
0: just monitoring your credit, you could miss certain threats, like your info for sale on the dark web. LifeLock helps detect and works to fix identity theft. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions, but LifeLock helps spot threats you may not. Uh Uh-oh. Save 25% off your first year with promo code SMART at LifeLock.com. Dan Proft wonders what the lockdowns are all about. Stanford
6: epidemiologist John Ioannidis looked at 36 studies, 43 estimates, along with an additional seven preliminary national estimates, and concluded among people less than seven years old across the world, infection fatality rate of .05
0: across the different global locations. .05. The Dan Proft Show. Weeknights at 9 at AM 1250. The answer.
3: Paid for by Protect My Car.
5: Restrictions may apply. Plans and costs for coverage may vary. Call for details. Yo, where's your car? Man, my engine blew. And I can't afford to get it fixed. So no car for me. Oh, man. That's why I got me an extended service plan. That way, that blown engine would have cost you nothing to repair.
4: Hold up. You're saying if I had gotten that plan before my engine blew, I could have got it fixed and paid nothing? You got
5: that right. Drivers covered by Protect My Car will not have to pay for any covered repair bill ever again man i really should have called and got my car covered before this huge repair bill hit if you own a
3: car truck or suv made from 1999 or higher call 800-598-6035 right now to see if your car qualifies all repairs for your engine transmission and much more can become a thing of the past Just call 800-598-6035 and get your car protected before your next repair bill hits. Call 800-598-6035 right now. Call now to find out how you pay nothing for auto repairs. Call 800-598-6035. That's 800-598-6035.
0: Tell me why Relief Factor is so successful in lowering or eliminating pain. I'm often asked that question. Pete and Seth Talbot, the father and son, founders of Relief Factor, tell me they believe our bodies were designed to heal. The Doctors who formulated Relief Factor selected the four best ingredients, 100% drug-free ingredients that each help your body deal with inflammation. Order the 3-week quick start now, discounted to only 19.95 to see if it will work for you too. Call 800-500-8384. ReliefFactor.com. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. WDPGP. That's pretty- A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer.
3: Busy ride on the outbound
8: Parkway East. You'll see delays between Bates Street and the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. Could take you about an extra six minutes there. The rest of the parkway not doing too badly. Accident cleared northbound 79 just past South Point Boulevard. 65, that's blocked with an accident between Walnut Street and Hazel Lane. A fire scene in Scott Hopf Street at Lee Street. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson.
0: AM 1250, The Answer. Weather. Tonight we'll see mostly cloudy skies. It'll be breezy with a few flurries. Tonight's low twenty. Intervals of clouds and sunshine expected for tomorrow. Tomorrow will reach a high of thirty. Tomorrow night, increasing clouds with a bit of snow late, little or no accumulation expected, below seventeen, a little snow Sunday morning with little or no accumulation, otherwise mainly cloudy skies, and a high of twenty-seven. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. Warning, listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer.
1: Well, I'm sure you're aware of the stories around the country about uh, about kids being kept out of school and forced to get educated by computer screens. Uh, In some places, teachers unions are refusing to show up for work after the schools have been declared open or after they've said they're going to try to open. That hasn't been the case for the Pittsburgh Catholic schools. Kids have been in classrooms most of the time since this virus showed up. Michelle Peduto is the director of Catholic schools in Pittsburgh, and she joins us now. Michelle, thanks for being here.
8: Hi, John. It's nice to be with you.
1: So um, did all the Catholic school kids show up in person for classes today in all the Catholic schools in the diocese? Uh,
8: let me think. We've, we have a few quarantines going on, but I think every school is open, yes, today.
1: Now, uh, yeah. I don't think that's the case if, uh, for public schools around here. I, I'm, I've, I've stopped trying to keep up with who's in school and who's out and who's doing who's doing um, uh, hybrid and, and all that stuff. But uh, how many schools are there in the Catholic diocese, in, in, uh, Pittsburgh diocese, and how many kids are we talking about?
8: Sure. Well, we have 32 diocesan elementary schools, seven diocesan high schools, and then five independent uh, elementary, and, and high school. So so we have about 13,000 students that we serve, and we have about 1,250 teachers.
1: So how much uh, time have the schools actually been closed since March or April, whenever all this insanity started?
8: Sure. Well, you know, everyone was closed from March until June. And I'm okay. I so right, proud yeah. of our teachers. Yeah, we all had to close on March 13th. Uh, and kind of enter a zone that we really never anticipated uh, going into. But our uh, teachers and administrators were amazing. Uh, we had some of our schools, many of our schools were up and running with some form of virtual instruction on March 16th, and then the rest pulled up on March 23rd. So from that point on, we were delivering either online or uh, we were delivering packets. We were really scurrying to get technology because we didn't have one-to-one technology throughout our schools. But we managed to provide instruction from about March, March 16th through uh, the 1st of June. And no, then it and, was a summer of planning.
1: Yeah, so you you planned this summer, and, and uh, was it in August that you everybody came back?
8: Some of our schools opened the end of August, our high schools. Uh, our elementary schools. We gave two extra weeks for teachers to get ready, and they opened September eighth. Uh,
1: how much pushback did you get from uh, local government, state? Uh, I guess more than anything, um, because they were recommending. Uh, I, I mean, again, I, I've had. Uh, it's just impossible to keep up with where where it is. But it seems to me that yeah. most of the time they have been been advising that schools not be open, at least not full-time for in-person classes. So did you get pushback from the state on it?
8: So I, I think what you said is key here. They were recommendations. Mm-hmm. So so we haven't. And it's not just our diocese, right? It's all the dioceses across Pennsylvania and pretty much throughout the country. Um, they were recommendations from the state. But we we kept pushing forward.
1: Well, what... I mean, when the state government, when the governor himself is recommending that you don't do something, and then you do it anyway, that's that's kind of a bold thing to do, isn't it? I mean, what was what what was going on uh, as you guys were were planning all this? Was there a lot of discussion about whether this was a good idea? And uh, were you know were there parents who thought it wasn't a good idea because the state had said it wasn't a good idea?
8: Oh, most, most definitely, um, but there were, there were procedures in place, so you had to have a health and safety plan. Um, you had to follow the health and safety plan. We did offer parents who were uncomfortable. We did not want to force families in that were uncomfortable being in, so we offered, which was a, another learning experience for teachers, we offered a fully virtual option in every school that was synchronous with instruction, so they were televising right from their classrooms from the very beginning, so um, so our, and that, I think that was key, the health and safety protocols in place, um, constant communication with teachers, with administrators, with parents, anybody who had a concern. I think everybody in the five counties has my cell phone number. So, um, you know, it was just it was it was a great effort on the part of teachers, parents, administrators to, to do this.
1: We're talking to Michelle Peduto, director of Catholic schools for the Pittsburgh Diocese. So, what does the uh, how, how uh, uh, wide of a uh, of, uh, range is the Pittsburgh Diocese cover? How, how much t- territory does that cover?
8: Sure, we're in Allegheny, Butler, Beaver, uh, Lawrence, and Washington counties. So that's so a we lot are of, that's spread a, out.
1: That's uh, that's a lot of territory. So it's not just the city, obviously, um, and. Uh, teachers and unions, uh, teachers unions rather, seem to be the problem in public schools around the country. You said your teachers were great about this. What, did you find much reluctance at all from, from your teachers to co- to go back, worrying about their safety?
8: We did. We did. And we did have some teachers that took some leave, you know, that took leave mm-hmm. of absence. And people were very afraid and still are. I mean, now the push is for the vaccines, and so we're working on that, too, to make sure that our our teachers who are in that 1B category will have access. But it was, um, the teachers were afraid. And I we have so many teachers that were in those high-risk age groups too. So it, it was a challenge. But
1: well, How many teachers but, have gotten sick, uh, got, not gotten sick, but how many teachers have been tested positive for COVID-19 uh, and how much of that was traced to the kids?
8: So since September 1, we've had 63 faculty and staff across 1,250, you know, with 1,250 teachers and 39 schools. Um, and then the five independent schools don't necessarily report to me. Uh, so 63, we, we found none of them that have come from in school spread. These were all related for the most part. Now we have a couple now that they don't know where they were exposed, um, but we haven't seen it spread in the schools.
1: So so you have not found one case that you're aware of where a teacher caught COVID nineteen because he was a teacher, he or she was a teacher in a classroom full of kids.
8: Not that I know of. And again, well, this is well, you know, we're dealing with a virus.
1: It's yeah. It's a little mysterious. But but, <laughs> okay. but Michelle, all across the country, teachers are are refusing to show up. Because they're afraid they're going to get, and and you have uh, 1,250 teachers in 39 schools, and maybe somebody did catch it from one of the kids, but you're not aware of, not one that you're aware of has come down with a disease because they showed up for a class. Is that what you're telling me?
8: That's not that I'm
1: aware of. What's going on here? I mean, how much more proof do the public schools need? and the public school teachers need to show that there's nothing to be afraid of i mean are you doing anything that special that that they couldn't do in the public schools to keep the, the teachers from catching the COVID?
8: well what i can tell you what we are doing is we're just following the safety protocols um we have you know the social distancing the masks um constant cleaning our maintenance staff throughout our schools they've been amazing constant some of our principals are even doing some extra cleaning. Um, and we have some, in some, some schools, we have plexiglass set up to, you know, to bear it to, um, between the desks. but we've been very careful. Our, our mission from day one, we, we put everything else aside and said, the only thing we're doing is in-person instruction. That's our goal. So we felt very strongly because we wanted to be sure that families where parents needed to work, too, had a place for their children, we felt it was our mission. You know, our mission is to have the children with us. Our mission is faith formation. Our mission is academics. It's the socio-emotional well-being of our students. And we just did everything we could to the best of our ability to make that happen.
1: And I'm going to repeat again, 1,250 teachers, 39 uh, schools, Not one case that you're aware of of any teacher getting the disease from a kid in the classroom. I mean, uh, if you were to be called by your counterpart in the public schools uh, and asked about this, what advice would you give them about um, how they should handle this? Uh, And and how they – or let's say the – the head of the teachers' union called you and and was talking about how afraid their teachers were to go back to school. What would you say to him, him or her?
8: I I would just say what I've been saying all along. This is these are unprecedented times. We just take case by case, and and you know what, John? To be to be fair, tomorrow I could hear that a teacher was believes they were exposed to a student, but I no. would just say you just you just put those safety yeah. protocols in place, meticulously you, follow them, stick to the big quarantines too. That was really important yeah. for us. I didn't bring that up, but that's really important too. Yeah.
1: What, what's important? The how, how do you mean that?
8: The quarantine. So we were really, um, we've really been strict about quarantine. So if, uh, you know, if one player on the basketball team, then we, we would quarantine the team for 14 days. And we have not, um, We've stuck with the 14-day quarantine where the state, I think, relaxed that a little bit to 10 days. And we have, we have stayed with the 14-day quarantine if you are a close contact. Uh-huh. And that's where you see, if you go through, we've had a number of press releases that have shown at times we have had to close schools. We have had to close classrooms or close, you know, quarantine teams. Um, and we do it and, it and we just keep doing it. But again, when I get pushed back, you know, sometimes it's tough for parents on a dime to know their child's going to be at home for 14 days. We say, look, again, we go back to what what is our goal. Our goal is in-person instruction, and this is what we need to do.
1: And you mentioned uh, press release. This would seem like a a pretty big story. I don't watch a lot of local news anymore, but has... Your story, the story of your school your schools being open and and people not not having any massive spreading of the disease, has that story been well documented locally, do you think?
8: Well, I, I will tell you, we put out our press releases every time we have to close a classroom or close close a team down. We we make sure that we put out a press release for it. We have had some, some reporters that have called and, and asked questions about how we're doing it. Um, you know, and I, and I do want to say, I have to say, that my counterparts in the public school, their situations are their situations, and mm-hmm. I can't speak to their challenges. Well, I only well, know the challenges that we have in our, in our Catholic school setting, and, and that's what I focus on.
1: We're talking to Michelle Peduto. She's the director of Catholic schools for the Pittsburgh Diocese. So, have you seen? Uh, I, I saw a story. Um, I think the guy's name is Tom Carroll. I mean, you may be aware of him. He's the. I thought. I think that's his name. The. Um, he's. In, I guess he's your counterpart in Boston. He's head of the Catholic schools mm-hmm. in the Boston diocese, and he said they've seen a, a major increase from parents wanting to take their kids out of public schools and putting them in the Catholic schools uh, because of this. Because the the schools up there are open too for some reason. Maybe it's the maybe it's the maybe it's the the Catholic faith that's keeping everybody safe, but they're well, you know, they're not yeah. they're not getting sick up there either.
4: Have you seen? Well, that, we do pray uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah. we do pray have a lot. Uh,
8: we we have seen an increase, and and it's been a challenge for us because we would love to serve everyone, but we also have to attend to that social distancing piece. Uh-huh. So we're really careful that we don't um, we don't overload our classrooms so that we can't. Take the appropriate safety protocol. So we have seen some interest, though.
1: You have, see, yeah. And and here's here's mm-hmm. an interesting thing that uh, you know I I know that this is not maybe something that you might not you might not feel comfortable commenting on this, but what seems to be a major difference here is that if I have my kids in a Catholic school, I'm paying tuition. I'm paying for them to go there. Uh, of course, if you have them in a public school, you're paying too. You just don't see it the same way because you're not writing a check for it. It comes out of your taxes. But the fact that you uh, in the public schools are dependent upon people paying money to go there, um, that's a pre- that seems to be a pretty good incentive for staying open. I'm not saying in a, in a in a in a in a in a crass way that you know that it's all about money, but it is a factor that there's you you guys need to stay open because that's how you stay alive. I mean, financially.
8: Well, sh- well, sure, and we we do have tuition, but you know, we wouldn't open if we didn't feel we could do so safely for our kids, and and not only safely for the students, but also in their best interest, right? That it's it's just. Yeah, I get
1: that, I but what I'm, saying, Michelle, it, what I'm saying, Michelle. is that you you are uh, you need to have the kids there. Uh, and and the people are paying money for their kids to be there. So to to, the, to the say to the the, the families, listen, uh, we're not going to open. We're not going to be open. Then they're going to say, well, we're not paying, right? Sure.
8: Yeah. And sure. and
1: yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not saying there's anything whatsoever wrong with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, that's that's right. how you guys right. stay in business. Um, well, well I, sure. I, I,
8: and there there. Are ex- um, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. There, there are economic reasons for everything, right? To be mm-hmm. open so that right. parents can work. Um, to be open so that our teachers can have a livelihood. Um, sure. Yeah.
1: Well, well, all of this, as I've been saying here for months, is a uh, an advertisement for school choice. And I went to Catholic schools for 13 and a half years, a year, including a year and a half of college. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. So... What you're doing doesn't surprise me, and I'm glad you're doing it, and people should follow your lead. I appreciate you coming on, though, Michelle. Thanks. Oh,
8: thank you, John. It was my pleasure.
1: Thanks. Okay, that's Michelle Peduto, Director of Catholic Schools for the Pittsburgh Diocese. We'll be right back. With
3: PatriotSoftware.com, accounting and payroll, Good time and money.
5: Mike here, serial entrepreneur with words from another happy payroll customer.
2: My husband and I started a business together, and I had no idea where to start when it came to payroll. And a friend of mine recommended Patriot, and I have not looked back since. It was extremely user-friendly. I was actually able to understand it and run everything extremely well. And any time I've had a question, they have been so quick to answer and help me. Um, I definitely recommend it to anyone who is looking for a payroll software that is easy to use, user-friendly and really offers everything that you need when it comes to something that's beneficial for your business
5: visit us at patriotsoftware.com use promo code radio and get two months of payroll free that's patriotsoftware.com accounting and payroll
4: Synergy Group hopes this message finds you safe and healthy. Roy Locks and his team understand the concerns you have about your well being. Those concerns may include your investments based on recent volatility and the markets. Roy believes the stock market will recover eventually, but he also understands the importance in taking steps to limit losses and finding upside. Now is the time to consider structured investments that can help you recover losses caused by COVID-19 and the recent market fallout. Call Roy today at 412-673-7760. He can help you focus on future upside in your retirement accounts. He is confident in strategies tailored for you. Roy Locks and the Synergy Group are eager to help in this turbulent period of uncertainty. 412-673-7760. That's 412-673-7760. Please, be well and stay safe. Securities offered through J.W. Cole Financial. Member Fedra, SIPC. Investment advice offered through J.W. Cole Advisors. J.W. Cole Financial and J.W. Cole Advisors are not affiliated with the Synergy Group Incorporated.
8: Pounds and pounds of fur. Our hairballs have hairballs. Our cat mama, she's 10 years old. She has dandruff and an oily coat. I have two cats, BP and Daisy. Daisy sheds like crazy. If you love your pets as much as I do, you'll want to do what's best for them. To live long, healthy, happy lives. I-N-O-V-I-T-E I just tried this wonderful, catalicious Dynavite for cats, and my cat has been on it for two weeks. She is not scratching anymore. She's not chewing anymore. It is just the best. I was thrilled when I heard Dynavite for Cats was coming out because I had seen the changes in my dog. To introduce my cat to Dynavite, I took the advice from Dynavite and put their food on top of just a scoop in the bowl just to
6: get them used to it because I know if I even switch one little thing, they put their nose up to it. There was not one problem. Dynavite for life. You won't believe how happy your cat will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com.
3: SurroundPittsburgh.com,
0: connecting you with new customers. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer.
1: So, I thought that was a very interesting conversation with uh, Michelle Peduto, the Director of Catholic Schools here in Pittsburgh for the diocese. That's uh, five counties. Give me those numbers again. Now, I don't know... Uh, what the situation is in all the different school districts around here, I've, I've given up trying to keep track. Some, uh, even with my grandkids, they're either in school or they're not, or they go two or three days a week, and then they're sometimes they're in person, sometimes they're virtual. Um, but uh, out of 1,250 uh, teachers, uh, 1,250 schools, uh, uh, 1,250 teachers in 39 schools, Uh, The director of the school system for the diocese is not aware of one case of a teacher getting COVID-19 because he or she is a teacher and showed up in a classroom with a a room full of kids. Not one. Would somebody please uh, talk to the public schools about that and tell them that maybe they should show up and sit in the back of the class? at one of the Catholic schools, and find out how they're getting away with that. Not only here in Pittsburgh, but all over the country. Not one out of 1,250 and 39 schools. Unbelievable to me. I'll talk to you
0: Monday. The John Staggerwalt Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.